everyone. Welcome to Stockholm Community Church. We are so glad that you are joining us wherever you are today. So whether you are watching from home, you are watching in your car, maybe you are watching on the train, we are so glad that you are part of the service here today. Have you ever looked at what maybe one of your friends purchased and wished that you had purchased that as well? Or maybe you got into one of your friend's cars and you were like, I need this car. Or how about you watch that commercial and you just go, I need to have this device for my kitchen, like maybe the air fryer. And you buy the air fryer and you use it once and then it just sits on your counter and collecting dust and you wish you could sell it but Blocket only offers you half of the amount of the actual worth of the device. Consumption. If we didn't know what our friends, what our family, coworkers were spending their money on, maybe we wouldn't spend the money on the same thing. Some people, they stand in line for hours outside of a store just so they can get that very first phone that is coming out or that big TV or that game. We live in a world where consumption, buying things is part of our everyday life. You can't go a day without seeing an ad either on TV or in your social media saying, buy this, buy this, buy this. Well, we are in the middle of our guardrail series, written by Andy Stanley, a pastor of North Point Church in Georgia, United States. We are so thankful for the series because we've been using it for the last four weeks. We're in our fifth week this week. And so we just want to say thank you, Andy, for creating the series. But we are talking about setting up guardrails in our life. Well, what is a guardrail. Well, a guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous and off-limit areas. And here we are, week five, and guess what? We have talked about um, relationships. We have talked about friendships. We have talked about why we need guardrails. We have talked about sex. We have talked about marriage. And today, we are going to talk about yeah, you guessed it right, money. And it's an important guardrail. So we've talked about what the definition is of a guardrail in general, the guardrails that are on the road. But for here, we're gonna use a personal definition of a guardrail. It is a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. Meaning when I bump up to the guardrails that I place in my life, there are going to be lights that are going off. Warning, warning, you're hitting up against a guardrail. Now, these guardrails in our lives, they are personal. I'm going to have guardrails in my life, and you're going to have guardrails in your life. We get to choose what kind of guardrails we want to establish in our life. And as followers of Jesus, we want to make sure that our guardrails align with what His Word says, because He wants this amazing life for us. And He says, let me help you to establish guardrails. We've had one key verse that we have used this entire series, and that is Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. Look carefully then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, 
because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So here we are today, and we're going to talk about guardrails when it comes to money. You had to see that one coming, right? We've talked about so many other important things, but money is something that you and I and everyone else on this planet, we deal with on a daily basis. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times when we hear that the church is going to talk about sex and the church is going to talk about money, we may have some warning lights coming on. Oh, here they go again. They tell us not to have sex. Sex is a bad thing. Well, go back a few weeks and listen to Pastor Brian's message, and you'll know that God created sex, and it's a good thing. Same thing with money. You may say, hey, uh-oh, here the church goes again. They're about to tell me how I'm going to spend my money. Well, if we look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, actually, the Bible has a lot to say about our finances. This is not a message about how you, um, what you should necessarily spend your money on, but this is a message so that you can live a life that honors God with what He has already given you. So, don't write off this message yet. Don't go, oh, here we go again. But I'm going to really encourage you to listen to this message with an open heart, with an open mind, and to say, God, what kind of guardrails do you want me to establish in my life when it comes to my finances, when it comes to where and how I spend my money? Now, Andy Stanley, the creator of the series, he has this quote, and I just had to share it with you. If people would just take what the Bible says about money and sex and relationships, if we would just take what the Bible says seriously, even for just six months, we could have a cultural revolution in every positive sense of the word. And it would be astounding. If we just took what the Word of God says and we applied it, it would actually change everything. It would change our life. Now, it's true within the church and it's true outside of the church that a lot of us were not that great at managing our finances. That we can, if we do not have guardrails set up in our life, we can end up on the ditch or we can end up hitting that wall next to us. And we can find ourselves in a place where we have a lot of regrets. So some of our biggest regrets in life could actually be avoided if we just put up some guardrails in our life. Now, here's the thing. The Bible is full of verses that talk about how we should spend our money, how we should use it, our plan with money, how we should save it, what we do, what happens when we have too much money, and what actually happens if we don't have enough money? But the one thing that the Bible shows us over and over again, how we view our money actually is related to our devotion to God. Yep, it's all related. 
and it's all connected. And we see Jesus talking about this in Matthew chapter 6, 24. And to give you a little bit of the setting here, this is called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has gathered several thousand people in front of him, and he's preaching. And so we see that in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. But specifically in chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Okay, so as I read that verse, I don't know about you, but I would assume you would be like, oh, I don't have a master, <laughs> you know? Um, it's not something we usually go around and say, yep, I got a master, and let alone I have two masters? No, 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 no. I am the boss of myself. I am in charge of my life, what happens, what I do, and what I don't do. Now, I'll have to say, though, that as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, when we have asked him to come into our life, we actually tell Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, every part of my life, from the little stuff to the big stuff. And so Jesus is saying here, if you are the, my follower, you will. You'll either have one master that you will follow and then the other that you will hate or that you will despise. He says either you will love one of them and you will be loyal to one of them. Now, here's one of the thoughts I want you to take away in all the areas of your life. Either Jesus is first in your life or he's not. There's not really an in-between. Either he is first or he is not. And so as we look at this and, and Jesus and his ministry, he shares that over and over again. Pick up your cross. Lay down your life. He says, I need to be first in your life. If you are going to follow me, you have to lay down your life. Now he continues in Matthew chapter six, verse 24, and he says this, you cannot serve God and money. Now Jesus is getting very specific here. You cannot serve God and money. Now what's he saying here? He's saying, hey, let me help you recognize something. There's a tension within you. And when it comes to who is gonna be the master of your life, and really what it boils down to, it's a trust issue. Am I going to trust God? And I'm going to trust His way, His guiding, His leading, His provision? Or am I going to trust my money, the pursuit of money, the wealth and the security that comes with money? Are you gonna put your trust in money or are you gonna put your trust in God? Now, there's gonna be a little bit of that tension. God, he is our father, he is our good father. He wants to make sure that we are taken care of. He wants the best for us. Do you believe that this morning? See, cause that's where it has to start. Do I trust that God, my heavenly father, wants what is best for me and that he's going to give it to me 
in the right season at the right time. That even if I lose my job, he's gonna take care of me. Even if I run into financial ruin, that you know what, my life isn't gonna be ruined because the Lord will still provide. Will I trust that the way of following Jesus is the best life that I can have? Now, Jesus knows that there's a lot of competition between him and stuff. We feel good when there's a lot of money in the bank account. We feel more secure just in case something was gonna happen. But he says this, Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. The love of money causes all kinds of trouble. Some people want money so much that they have given up their faith and caused themselves a lot of pain. The love of money causes all kinds of trouble. Again, who's going to be my master? My money? Or will it be God and his word? So as we begin looking into our how we view money, we can end up in two different ditches. We have the ditch of the consuming and the ditch of the hoarding. Now, some of you, you don't mind being consumers. And others of you, you don't mind being hoarders. Some of you would admit to hoarding and refusing to consume anything that you have. But let's talk about the consumer first. The consumer is the one who consumes everything they want. When they see it, when they want it, they consume every krona somehow. The money comes into their account just as quickly as payday hits here at the 25th of the month. It comes out. We can't wait to buy something. We can't wait to go out to restaurants. We just consume, consume. Whether it is in a house, a car, a boat, an apartment, whatever it might be, that new phone, the watch. We consume, 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 consume. Then we have the hoarder. The hoarder asks a lot of questions of like, well, what about, what if this happened? What if the economy goes bad? What if I get sick? What if I want to retire? What if I need these one day? What if something goes wrong and we just hoard, 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 and hoard? Now, the interesting thing about you know, the consumer and the hoarder. And if we change the terms a little bit, we could probably say it's the spender and the saver. A lot of times when people get married, they marry the opposite. So one person in the relationship is the consumer or the spender and one is the hoarder or the save, saver. Do you guys recognize yourself in that? The couples here in the crowd that sometimes we, we are attracted to the opposite, which can also create some tension in our relationships. But here's the thing, whether it's consuming or whether it is hoarding, the problem is there's actually something they both have in common. So whether you are a hoarder or whether you are a consumer, don't get offended here, just hear me out. The thing that hoarders and consumers have in common is that their view is very self centered. Mm -hmm. I just said it. I know. 
I just said it. If you are a hoarder or if you're a consumer, there is a big chance that you are very self-centered. And what do I mean that? It means that we are living as if there is no God. We are living as if God isn't the master in regards to our money. Both of these are actually consumed by the same thing. So whether you are a consumer or you are a hoarder, you are actually consumed by greed. Now, it's not very often I meet someone and they come to me and they say, hey, Carolyn, I want you to pray for me. I am really struggling with greed. Usually we don't define ourselves necessarily as greedy people, and especially maybe not if you are a hoarder or if you are a savior. Now, greed is kind of a little bit difficult to see. What is a greed? behavior that is full of greed. Now, here's the thing, and we're gonna use this definition for greed. Greed is simply the assumption that it's all for my consumption. So that's what greed is. It is the assumption that it is all for my consumption, meaning is that all we have is for us. What I have is for me. So whatever it is, whether I'm consuming or hoarding for later, it is all for me. I get a raise, that's all for me. I get my inheritance, it's all for me, right? It's a mindset. Anything that comes towards me is for me. Now see, you can be poor and greedy and you can be rich and greedy. My consumption now or my consumption later. So whether you are a consumer now or you are a hoarder, at some point, the consumption will happen of what you have. And this is why it's so important. And Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, if I'm struggling with greed, it's not that I don't believe in God. Let me be clear. But it may be that you put the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of having things, the pursuit of feeling secure because of what you have before God. And that's what we're talking about here. Who am I trusting? Who am I letting master and rule my choices? And I hope as followers of Jesus, we say, well, Jesus, I want you to rule over me. I want you to tell me how to live my life. I want to set up some guardrails. Now, again, if I am fueled by greed, I am living this life as if there is no God or that God doesn't get to have say in this part of my life and that God isn't big enough. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember as a college student and I remember not having maybe a lot of money in my bank account. And I just prayed that the check that I wrote for my rent wasn't gonna bounce. We tend to go to God when we are struggling in our finances and we go, dear God, please, please, please help me out of this mess. Somehow bring the money into my account. But imagine if we invited God into the decision-making process when we have money, when we're not just in a crisis, but actually when we're flourishing and we say, God, what do you want me to do with this? How do you want me to spend what I have? Now, one of my roles as your pastor, 
And I take this seriously. It is an honor to be your pastor. But one of my roles here, and one of the things that I want you to hear from me today is I want to help you love God better. I want you to live for God more consistently than what you're currently are doing right now. I want you to do believe things about God in the correct way. And I want you to, I want to set you up to live this full life, this amazing life that God has for you, that he has planned for you. Now, I want to make sure that you get this financial peace right. And why do I want these things? Because I love you. Because I believe that God has an amazing life. And too often, when we do not have guardrails set up around our finances, we can find ourselves in the ditch, finding ourselves either consuming way too much or living saying, I might need this. This is going to give me security. This is going to give me stability. And we still live in fear, even though we have all of this stuff. So, how do we let God be the master of our life? It starts with creating a habit. Yep, I just said it, a habit. It doesn't sound very fun, doesn't sound, doesn't sound like, woo, brand new thought, never heard that. But you know what? I want you to start having a new habit when it comes to your finances. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. See, God wants you to have a habit of going to him first with your finances. Just like prayer, we don't pray a prayer once and go, I'm never going to pray again. No, we make it part of our daily practice, our daily thing that we do. We pray to God. We talk to Him. We have conversations with Him. The same thing with our finances. We make it a habit to say, God, what do you want to do with what I have? Now, so let's talk about some guardrails. We all tend to, the world in general, tend to live this way. We live we we save and then we give. So whatever I have, it's for my consumption, right? I get paid. I have a right. I get to do fun stuff. I get to do whatever I want. I'm going to live. Woohoo! And then if anything's left over, then I save. And saving's good. We like saving. And then if anything's left over after that, then I give. But you know what? The kingdom of God goes against what our culture does. Because you see, when we live just for today and we just live, live, live for me, my world actually becomes pretty small. But if I live with a kingdom mindset, I'm going to flip that around. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to give, and then I'm going to save, and then I'm going to live. So what does that look like? It's the 10, 10, 80 rule. So the first one, right away, I'm going to give 10% of what I get on a monthly basis. I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to give it. I'm going to give away. Because you know what? When I give away something, it doesn't rule me. It doesn't master me. It is not what I put my trust in. But I say, God, I'm going to trust what the Word of God says, and I'm going to give it. It's what we call tithing. 
we tithe to the church. Not because God needs my tithe, not because the church needs my tithe, but because if I can get this principle right in my life, so many other things are gonna fall into place. So before I do anything else financially, I give my 10%. The second thing that I'm gonna do is I'm gonna save. I'm gonna save 10%. So I've given 10%, now I'm gonna save 10%. And yes, those are for those emergencies, those unforeseen things, to be able to buy something maybe down the road that I want. But the 10% is just saying, you know what? If there's a job change, I have something that can help me in those months of transitions. If I happen to get sick, I know I have something to fall back on. And then the third thing, so I've given, I have saved, and now I live on the rest, on 80% or less. And so as I live, you know, I pay my mortgage payment, I pay my rent, I pay my car payment, I pay my insurance, I pay to go out to eat at a restaurant, I pay for my groceries. And I'll tell you this, the Bible says in Proverbs 2, 12, a fool spends all that they have, but the wise person has leftovers. So again, the goal is not to spend everything that we have. And so we get to, you know, the 15th, 16th, 17th of the month, and we can't wait for payday to come around because we've spent everything. But if I can change the dynamics of my mindset, establish a new habit, you know what? I'm going to give, I'm going to save, and I'm going to live. It will drastically change our life. Now, Matthew 6, 31, 33 says this. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. So Jesus says here, don't be anxious for anything. I'm going to take care of you. Now, when my kids were little, I handed them three envelopes each when they were old enough to get allowance. And on those, I wrote, give, save, live. And so from a very young age, we instilled in our kids we give to God first. So it started out with just a couple of kroner in there, right? Not a whole lot in the tithing. And the same thing went into the giving or to the to the saving. And then they had an envelope where they could spend whatever they wanted to. Now it's a little bit different. My kids are older, so they have bank accounts, but they all do. They have a spending and then they have a saving. And as we as parents raise up our kids to have guardrails and saying, let's put God first. We're going to raise our children to know the biblical principle of not being mastered by our money, but allowing Jesus to be our master. And so maybe you haven't lived with this mindset of give, save, live. I want to give you the challenge. Do that. See what happens when you establish that guardrail in your life. Now, I'm going to give you some other practical things as we talk about our finances here. One, 
write out and commit to a budget. We do a budget here in the Dunn household. We put in our income. Our first line on our budget is tithe, then saving, and then comes everything else. We don't budge the two first numbers. They stay the same. The other ones, we have to sometimes adjust maybe a little less in one area, maybe a little bit more in the other area. Get out of debt. Buy only what you can afford. We live in a society that says, oh, just charge it, or no interest for two months, and then pay it off. If you don't have the money now, don't buy it now. Only buy it once you can pay what I would say cash. We don't use a lot of cash, but where I can pay it right away or can come out of my account. Live on less than you make. I'm gonna tell you, you get a raise, that doesn't mean you should go and spend your raise. What if you took that and you did put it into savings? Or what if you took that and you gave it to an organization where you said, you know what? I'm gonna feed the hungry. You know what? I'm gonna help provide clean water. I'm gonna clothe someone with the extra, the abundance that God has given me. It's not just all for my consumption, but I'm gonna do something with it. Imagine what would happen in this world if we live like that. Save up for purchases. I already said it, but wait till you have the money to buy it. Not going, oh, I'll be able to pay it down the road. And then you pay interest and then you find yourself in just a big financial mess. And give money away. There's something about giving money away when a need comes your way to be able to say, you know what? I don't even have to pray about it. I just, I get to do it. Now, obviously we wanna invite God into our decisions, but a lot of times we will say, oh, let me just pray about it, which usually means a no. But when a need comes our way, what if we have even a giving account set up in our bank account? And we just know this is money that God, when he provides me with an opportunity, I can just pull money out of that account and I can give to whatever God wants me to partner with. So yes, the Bible has a lot to say about our finances because Jesus says, you cannot have two masters. You cannot love God and love money. But when we put God first, meaning we trust him, we trust his ways, we trust his provision, we trust that he is a good father, all the other things will fall into place. And I can't tell you over and over again in my life where I have said, God, I'm gonna give this to you. I'm gonna follow your principles. I'm gonna put up these guardrails and he has done abundantly more with my money than I could ever have done with it myself. So yes, here's a church on this Sunday morning, we are talking about finances, why? Because in the area of finance and also in the area of relationships, those are two areas that have the ability to wreck us and to give us some of life's biggest regrets. And so I wanna encourage you, take some time and ask God, how can I give? How can I save? How can I live? Help me to establish these guardrails because I want my life as a follower of Jesus to be living a life that is the best life that you have for me. So we have one more week of our guardrail series where we're kinda of gonna wrap everything up and my prayer has been for all of us, and even for myself, where I'm establishing and reestablishing some guardrails in my life, that I say, Jesus, I have asked you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. You have freely given me your forgiveness, your grace, 
And I don't want to waste my life. I want to take this one life that I have been given and I want to have maximum impact and I want to stay out of the danger zone so that you can do what only you can do in my life. Now, if you are watching here with us this morning and you have not asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And the prayer really goes like this, Jesus, I need you. And I want you to come into my life, to be Lord of my life. And I want to live for you the rest of my life. I don't want to live for you just, you know, for the future to one day spend eternity with you. But no, I want to live for you here today. I want to be about the kingdom of God here today. Now, if that is you, will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you offer the gift of salvation so freely. So we come before you this morning. We say, Jesus, I invite you into my life. I ask you that you forgive me of my sins. And Lord, I ask that you would become the Lord and Savior of my life. I don't fully understand what that means today, but help me day by day as I read your word, as I spend time talking to you, that you will show me by your Holy Spirit what it means to follow you. Amen. So I'm so excited if you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to send us an email so that we can put some resources in your hand. Um, what a great decision you have made. And so church, we can't wait to see you face to face one day soon. But until then, we are gonna stay connected here via Zoom. We're gonna stay connected in our community groups. And so let's be intentional of staying connected even in this digital time. Have a great day, everyone.